All right. Well, we, we read um, the scripture this morning from Romans 12 and a, a much bigger section, you know, than what we'll be dealing with today. But we're really looking at Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're not going to go back there today, but our, our subject today is on humility. Um, this is just a tough one. But before we get into that, last week we talked about kindness. And we made the connection that acts of kindness flow from a heart of compassion. In other words, when our mindset is a care and concern for others, then we will do the things to help care for other people. The ultimate act of kindness was Jesus coming to earth and taking on flesh and going uh, to the cross and giving up his life uh, so that we could have life. Mark 10, 45 says this, that he gave his life a ransom for many. When we covered the sins in chapter 3, now we're going back a little bit more in Colossians 3, we learned we were to put to death and to lay them aside. This needs to be done every time we're tempted or every time that we actually sin. We need to stop it. Stop it before it happens or when it does, we need to kill it off and stop doing it. Um, just some examples because of the types of sins that we were talking about. If you're tempted to view pornography, kill that temptation. Stop it. Don't do it. Have you recently viewed it? Confess it and kill it. If there's anything you want that you shouldn't have or don't really need, and you know that you're coveting, kill that too. That's what the scriptures tell us. If you're tempted to lie, put that off. And let's be honest, that's not just a young person's problem. But it can be a little more of a tendency for young people to fib, right? If you've been lying about something, again, stop it. Remove it from yourself. The same goes for anger, hurtful speech, and showing favoritism. We are to get rid of these things. But the opposite is true for these positive spiritual qualities. We are to put these things on. We are to develop a disposition or mindset to do them and then actually do them. So it's not just, boy, I'd like to do that. I'm thinking on these things, but they actually do come out in actions at some point. These godly spiritual components that we are to put on are already present and active in our Christian life and in our church life. And I wanted to make sure that I said that again. I mentioned that last week. We're not starting from ground zero here, and I don't want to communicate the wrong thing. In other words, to say, hey, let's start doing this. No, let's keep on doing this. This is an active thing that we're to continue to put on, but there are obviously areas that we can grow in uh, individually and even as a church, and so that's what this is all about. So let's continue now to look at what we are to put on and put off. first thing that we have is, sorry, I don't know where that slide came from. But anyway, <laughs> we have a unique challenge to being humble. And that's kind of what I started with in the beginning. This is not an easy thing to do. Um, there is a danger of faking anything that is good and virtuous, right? The false friend that stabs you in the back comes off very compassionate and kind at first. They care about you. Not really. 
Another example is false generosity. It will have a lot of strings attached to it. And the real motivation is that somebody wants to get something out of their generosity, and that's not really being generous. The false teachers that Paul was addressing earlier in our book that we have been studying, the book of Colossians, um, have some interesting components to them. These two verses, Colossians chapter 2.18, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So now we're talking about a false humility. This was one of the marks of a false teacher. Look at the next verse. An appearance of wisdom, this is what they teach, in self-imposed religion and false humility. So there's this religiosity about them. There's this spiritual sound about them, but it's not genuine. And part of that comes down to the fact that they're really proud people. False teachers are proud people because what they're saying is, I have better information to give you than God does. I mean, this is the bottom line. I have a better plan for you that goes outside of Scripture, that goes outside of what God has said. And so you have to be proud and the very outset to be like that. Now, any one of us can display a false humility for others to see. But inside, we can sometimes think that we're pretty special, right? So let's kind of think about this a little bit further. Humility seems to have an extra level of difficulty attached to it. Pride is at the root of all of our sins. So it tends to be our go-to mechanism. In every area of our, of our living, we have this reflex to watch out for number one. Isn't that right? When we feel a little threatened, boom, it comes out. When it seems like someone's getting a little bit more attention than we do, we might want to try to get some of that attention from them or diminish them. Again, I'm not saying that this is a regular occurrence, but it can happen. There is an appropriate side to taking care of ourselves that isn't sinful. But being self-centered is sinful. It always is. So because of our tendency to sin, we sometimes aren't even aware of when we are being selfish. Can, can we admit to that this morning? There's times when we're really being self-centered about something, maybe in our marriage, in our family, in our friendships, at work, whatever it might be, and we're not even realizing what we're doing because it, it kind of is a tendency. It can also be hard sometimes to see when we've crossed that line. It can happen quickly. It's amazing how fast we can drift into self-centeredness during a conversation, right? There's some give and take, back and forth. We're sharing about one another. All of a sudden, I'm regaling you with all of these wonderful stories of myself, right? Meanwhile, you're getting glassy-eyed. So <laughs> now, I can't remember where I heard this before, but someone once said, that's enough about talking about me. Now, why don't you start talking about me? Right? That's how the conversations go sometimes. No. Anyway, even when we are truly humble, the temptation is right there to congratulate ourselves at how much better we are at being humble than other people. I'm so proud of how humble I am. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how insidious how difficult it is to really get a handle on pride. But humility is the opposite of that. So Paul's first letter to the, to the church in Corinth, he was working through a number of issues with the church. 
One was the, that di the different views people had on whether or not to eat meat that was once an offering to idols and that Christians should or should not eat that meat. So here is how Paul begins this section. I want us to see this in, in 1 Corinthians 8.1. We're not going to look at the entire context. I've given it to you, but it says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The word there is edified, but I wanted you to see. It means to build up, right? Not to puff somebody up, not to, not to have that pride, right? So what Paul is saying here is that everyone had knowledge. They knew the situation. The problem was that knowledge was inflating their pride. They thought that they had the answers. On the other hand, if we think about it this way, someone with similar knowledge but acting in love would actually have a desire to help somebody else. That's what this passage is telling us. So regardless of the subject, when we think we have the answers, when it's about us and it's about expressing what we know, not so helpful. But when we're considering the other person in it, then yes, it can very much be that way. We can do the same things. We know stuff, so that makes us pretty special, right? I know this, I know that. The problem is sometimes we want to make sure that the other people know that we know what we know. The Elys had the 20-somethings over to their home on Friday, and Maggie and I tagged along. We're not 20-somethings yet. Anymore, I mean. Yet. <laughs> that was definitely a slip of the tongue. And we had, we had a wonderful time, by the way. It was, it, was, it was really great. So I gave a devotional after dinner. Tim and his son sat next to me while I was giving the devotional, and afterward, a conversation started between Tim and one of his sons. And I, I didn't pick up quite all of it, but at some point, Tim asked him if Pastor, if I, was different than anyone else. Um, first off, I'm not asking you to give testimony of how different I am, okay? I get that. My niece uh, and nephew were there. They could have told stories about how different I am. Um, but his son said something like this, yeah, he knows Jesus more than anybody else. He's a wonderful guy. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> his father redirected his conversation before he could say any more inspiring words about me, which was a little disappointing. But lest you think I got a big head over that, I was addressed at least twice that evening as, Pastor Juan. <laughs> Pastor Ron, just so I translate it. So um, he had somebody else in mind anyway. <laughs> but what's the point of that story? First of all, it was a lot of fun. But my young friend had expectations of what a pastor knew. But a pastor's knowledge or anyone else's knowledge of spiritual things can potentially swell our pride. There could have easily been a little bit of me going, yeah, right? <laughs> but prideful knowledge is worthless because it's selfish. It's self-centered. And there's a side lesson to this. Pastors aren't necessarily the most informed, the most intelligent, or the most gifted, or even the most spiritual people in the church. Right. <laughs> Sometimes Tim agrees. And, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but he's right. Anyway, 
Here's the point. You don't find those qualifications in Scripture. You don't. What you find in Scripture is an elder should lead a mature life. A mature, consistent Christian life. Have a solid family life. Have a reputation of integrity and be recognized as having the abilities to care for, to spiritually feed, and to administrate the church of Christ. Not to be top dog in everything. You can't be. And I'm not. So the point is this. It's slippery. It's so easy to slide into a prideful mindset. So what I want us to look at today are three aspects of humility that I think can help us out with this. And I, I, if, you, if you saw the email that I sent out yesterday uh, warning you about the tomatoes uh, that were coming, it was, it was basically just saying that, that um, these, these, this is both um, instructive but also, I believe, encouraging. And I, I do want this to be an encouraging thing. It'd be really easy to slide into a message and basically just say, we're all so full of pride and everything. We know that, don't we? I mean, we don't have to be arguing about that. We've made that point. It's a problem. The opposite is what we need to do, put on humility. So let's look at three different aspects of it. The first one is humility before God. This type, of, this type of aspect of humility here is recognizing our position before God and having a proper respect for and dependence upon him. Now, on the surface, this is not a hard sell. If I have to try to convince you of this, that God is greater than you, then you've got a problem, right? The vast majority of religious people, regardless of who or what they believe in, any false god they might believe in, they believe that that god is greater than themselves. Since we know and serve the one true God, we should especially be humble in relation to him. James 1.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what does it say? And he will lift you up. We don't have to elevate ourselves. God in his grace will actually do that for us if we submit ourselves to him, if we are humble before him. What a beautiful verse. See, James here transitioned from talking about conflict between Christians earlier in the passage here, to the core problem, which was sinning against God. When we sin, we are ultimately rebelling against the Lord. In our pride, we do our own thing instead of His. We actually throw off God's authority in our lives. And again, the solution is humility. A proper respect and faith and obedience before God includes being humble before Him. It actually requires us to be humble. If, if we're prideful, we are not going to submit to God's authority. So it is surrendering our self-focused will to his will. And his will, his desire for our life, is the very best. Let's look at a couple of verses that illustrate that. Proverbs 22.4 By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Wow. Is that not an encouraging verse? Riches and honor and life. Now, does that mean you're going to be filthy rich? Not necessarily, but the point is you will be enriched. This is a rule of life. It's not a guarantee, but it's a rule of life. When we are properly viewing God, he will bless. That's the point. 
Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Wow. As, this has become immediately one of my favorite verses, right? This, this is a, an amazing verse. So God is good. God is patient. He wants to work with a humble people. So we need to make sure that we are submitting ourselves to him, that we are about doing his will and not overthrowing or usurping his authority, right? That's not going to be healthy for us. Let's move on to the next. And that's, that's humility with others. We're going to jump into a couple of verses right away here that talk about this. Philippians 2.3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem others better than himself. I just want to warn us real quick. This is where that false humility can really show itself. I mean, we, we can't have a false humility before God, right? He knows. It's not like we can pray and fool God. You know, oh, Lord, I'm coming to you with such a humble heart. Uh, no, you're not. Or, yes, you are. I mean, uh, that's it. But when we're talking with people, right, we can present ourselves as if we are humble and maybe not. But the point is this. The point is this, is that there's going to be some evidence to that. We're going to actually consider people in our hearts ahead of ourselves. We're going to favor them above ourselves. That's, that's selfless love, right? That's what we're talking about here. So humility considers the other person and elevates them. And then Romans 12.10, that was from our text that we read earlier. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Now, we've already talked about this, but the point is, what is it couched in? It's couched in a brotherly love for one another. That's where this comes from. So, yes, there's some instruction that we need to have here, but there's also some encouragement in how we can treat other people. Considering others better than ourselves, regardless of their life circumstances, is what this is all about. This is being humble on what we would call a more horizontal basis, not that vertical between ourselves and God. It's a person-to-person -person level of humility. Now, this passage, Romans 12 and Colossians 3, they have everything to do with the church. But we should also certainly apply this to everyday living, right? Whether it be work or activities, school, you know, wherever we might be, these, there's opportunities for us to exhibit the character, character of Christ by being humble. We're not, we didn't spend a lot of time on that because the next uh, thing that we're going to be looking at, which is, I won't leave you in too much mystery here, humility within ourselves. This is actually kind of the key. Obviously, we need to, to, to be humble before God first, but that's still getting ourself where we should be. And if we are understanding humility within our own hearts, that is going to be exhibited when we deal with other people, right? So this is where we're going to spend most of our time. This has to do with having an accurate view of ourselves. Again, it's a challenge to do that because we tend to think, 
quite highly of ourselves. And it's not all wrong, but sometimes a little too highly. Being truthful about who we are recognizes both our strengths and our weaknesses. True humility doesn't exaggerate who we are. Boasting, right, is, is puffing ourselves up. It might be truthful, but we're trying to make ourselves look good. We're, we're announcing how wonderful we are, right? Sometimes people even make things up. Sometimes ridiculously so, right? You might know that person that you went to school with or that person that you work with where it's like, I can't ever tell if they're telling, the, I mean, they're telling whoppers. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, well, the president and I had lunch yesterday. You know, it's just that, that kind of stuff where it's like, who are you trying to impress, right? But true humility also does not diminish who we are. We've got to be careful about that. Now, we're talking about that humility within ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. A little bit bigger passage, but I want you to see this. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, this was not an empty thing that God did. Something resulted from his grace. What does he say? But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul is, is having this dialogue with this church that is really going through some difficult times. And at times, he had to assert himself. And this is one of those occasions where he said, Hey, look, folks. You have the gospel because of what God did in my life and my work. He didn't diminish what he did. He wasn't some wilting flower. Oh, yeah, it's really nice that you believed, you know. That wasn't what he saw me. He's saying, hey, God did something in my life. He called me to do this, and I presented the gospel to you, and that's why you have it. And it's all the grace of God. He, he never lost sight of his submission to the Lord, but he didn't diminish his role in it. He had a responsibility to that church. He had authority as an apostle, even though he considered himself the least. But interesting, right? He's on the least because of my background, but I've put in more hours than they have. Right? He was being honest. He was actually being humble. You say, wait a minute, it sounds like he's bragging. No, he's not. He's being truthful about who he is and what he has done. We're going back to Romans 12 again. Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who was among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. Um, I, I want this graphic to be up here. But I want us to go back to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. And I'm going to read part of this to you. Just verses 3 through 8. Um, there was a lot of great things that are said here, but there's a specific part that I want us to work through as we are looking at this idea of, of, of humility within ourselves. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Okay, we have that. 
For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another, of one another, sorry. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. By the way, that means encouragement, just so you know. He who gives with liberality and who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So stop right there. So as we looked at this passage, um, I, I want us to focus again on this idea that we're not to think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves, but to think soberly. What, what does that mean? First, in chapter 12, Paul is explaining that each one is to serve in the ways that God has equipped them, right? That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. God has given each of us gifts and abilities to use in the body of Christ. But what does that phrase, and God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, mean? First, Paul is encouraging everyone to have a sober, that is, a clear-headed, accurate view of themselves. It, it's, it's kind of comparing that sober thinking to not-so-sober thinking if we are under the influence, right? We're not thinking straight. So he's not encouraging that. He's encouraging that we think clearly, that we have a clear-headed view of ourselves. So as we have that leading into this, let's think of that measure of faith. There are two views of this. The first one is that Paul is talking about saving faith, declaring that each one of us has this saving faith who are in Christ. The second view is that God has given each of us a differing capacity to live by faith. That's not the same as saving faith. Now, I could go through an awful lot of, you know, gymnastics on all of this stuff and everything else. I don't think that thinking one way is like, you know, somehow anti-scripture or anything like that. But I strongly believe that the first view, that saving faith, is the correct view. And I'll kind of explain why. I believe there are three main reasons. First, the primary purpose in verse 3 is that individual believers have a humble view of themselves. Specifically, not to think too highly of ourselves, right? That's what it says. The gift of saving faith is the great equalizer of the Christian life. We all have the same measure of that. No one is saved more than somebody else. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, right? Second, by the way, no one is saved less than someone else either. Second, Paul then emphasizes that we are certainly individuals with specific functions within the body. But we are one body in Christ, which makes us all members or part of one another in Christ. Again, he's talking more about that equality aspect of it. And then the third reason is that in verse 6, and if you have your Bibles open, you can still look there, Paul is talking about the use of our gifts, and it says, in proportion to our faith. Now, hang on for a minute there because you're thinking, wait, you were just talking about... It's still faith, but this is that living faith we are talking about, we've, we've talked about even in the past. In other words, we will use our gifts in the proportion that we live out our faith. That's what it's talking about. That's that practical daily living by faith, trusting God for what he says, being obedient and then doing what we are to do in him. 
So we begin with a saving faith. The same measure given to every person. But how we work that out in the church by our living faith through the gifts and abilities that God has given to us, that is dependent upon how we exercise that daily faith. So how does all this come together? The real battle, obviously, is within ourselves. We're to have a proper, humble view of ourselves. When we have the right view of ourselves and God, we will humble ourselves before God by obeying him, by putting our focus on Christ and eternity, and by conforming to the character of Christ. This is not going to be a struggle for us. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but we're not going to be pushing against it. It's still a process. There's still learning that takes place. There's still putting off that takes place. There's more putting on that takes place. But we're not going to be fighting against it because we are submitting to the will of God. Also, a life of humility before the Lord should produce humility dealing with other people. This is because we are all equal when it comes to the measure of faith God has given to us. We are all equal in Christ. We just established that. And because of this, we also don't start to get a big head because God is using us in different ways based upon our spiritual maturity, based upon how we live out our faith. So here's what Paul is saying. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Why? Because you have the same faith as your brother or sister next to you, but because you may be more mature, because you may be more obedient, because you may be used in a different way based upon just simply God using you, it's not like you look around and go, huh, I'm doing pretty good here. I mean, here's you and here's me, right? Because I'm really busy and because I'm really effective in how God has given me abilities. Remember that whole thing that Paul was talking about? I'm working really hard here. By God's grace. By God's grace. Keeping his submission to God in mind changed how he saw other people. Another good application at this point is that we aren't in competition in our service. And we shouldn't develop petty jealousies based upon how someone else is serving through their abilities. Folks, again, let's be honest. I wish I could do that. No offense, ladies, I have never desired to play the flute. Okay? But I still think that's a wonderful ability. It's it's not me. Okay? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But... Do I desire to play an instrument? Yeah, I've looked at some instruments. That'd be kind of neat to play. You know what I mean? Will I? No. no. <laughs> Am I sometimes jealous? That's an easy one. Not, not that. But put something else out there. Someone who's really good at XYZ, and that's kind of what I like. That's a little bit more of how I'm bent, right? And they're really, really good at it or at least in my perception, they're better than me? How dare they? Right? And so then there's that little bit of, oh, man. I mean, covenants has creeped in. 
A little bitterness can creep in, a little competition, any number of things, right? And again, sometimes it even comes out in our conversations. We're talking, you know, uh, yeah, we're talking and we both know this stuff. And then you say something that I don't really know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that, right? It comes out. I have to make sure that I establish that I'm just as good as you are, right? Let me give you an illustration of this. And I... I use two stories from my own life today. I don't mean to always do that, but if you're going to pick on somebody, right? Pick on yourself. But Maggie and I, as many of you know, love to bird watch. We have a couple of dear friends that we bird watch with. On we bird watch with them a number of occasions. Um, it was really fun bird watching with them when Maggie and I were the experts, right? We could walk through the woods and I'd hear something, and that's a black-throated green warbler. And they were like, wow, that's awesome. Like, you knew that? Yes, I did, right? <laughs> or you see something, and you can identify it right away, you know, because we've studied this. Now, I'm exaggerating to make a point here, okay, folks? I'm just, like, wobbling my head walking through the forest like I'm, you know. But, but the point is this. You know, it was great because, like, they'd ask us questions and stuff, and then we'd compare notes and things like that. And, you know, it, 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 we were doing something that we both loved. Well, then... Something happened. Like, they got better than we were, particularly me. Now, some of that was related to the time that I was able to put into the hobby, right? But some of that was just, they have younger eyes and ears. And they're sharp. And they knew their stuff. And so I will very transparently admit to you, you know, we're looking in some tree or bush or whatever, and it's a something or other, right? And, and it's like, you know, I'm, what is that? Oh, that's a so-and-so. You know, oh, yeah, I was just going to say that. You know, I catch myself with it. And I had to actually wrestle with my own heart and say, stop being an idiot, right? And don't get me wrong. I, I, I really did gain control over that quickly, but I, I saw it happening. Because it was, I mean, oh, I'm just telling you, it wasn't quite as fun when I'm trailing behind. And I had to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's awesome that my friends have just taken this and they have become great at it. In my opinion, I, I was never great at it, but it, I mean, let me just tell you this. You go in the woods and you're, you're bird watching on a, on a day when a lot of people are out there. There's other people that just blow you away. I mean, it's, it's just no two ways about it. You know, they start giving you these Latin names for things and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, well, that's like a female second year or something. It's a bird, and it's called this, and that's all I got, right? So anyway, there are people that know what they're doing. We're more amateurish, but again, my friends really established themselves. And actually what it became was, wow, you know, that's great. You know, we've shared something, and they have really taken that on. And I started looking at it as, you know, they're helping me see things, hear things that I can't see and hear as well as I used to. I want to see this as a positive. Like, I'm like, hey, what's that? You know? <laughs> so, so it actually became to where instead of, oh, there's a tension here. Something happened. The switch flipped. And now I'm asking them questions. And I don't know if I like this to, this is all right. You know, it's the same way in dealing with one another in any situation. It really is. Particularly when we're talking about the body of Christ. 
it's all right that God is using someone else differently than you. It's all right that God might even use them in a way that is so different that it's recognizable, even if it's something that you do as well. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that God, through his grace, is using us. What matters is, is that God's, God, through his grace, is doing a work among us. And humility says, I'm good with that. Humility says, I'm not just good with that. I'm going to celebrate it. Right? Instead of fighting against it. Instead of feeling like we've got to always get on top. So in all of that, it's pretty obvious that the real fight is within us. And again, as I've said before, we're not talking about ground zero here. It's not like we're all completely, totally selfish and we've got to start somewhere here. And No, that's not what we're talking about. What I wanted us to do was just have the proper tension in this issue that we have with our pride to really encourage us, hey, where do I really stand before God? What is my real attitude? Is, are the things that he say, are, are they, you know, you've, you've heard someone say this, is the Ten Commandments or is the Ten Suggestions? Right? You know, that's, that's just an example. You know, God is not, vast majority of the time, he's not suggesting things to us. Right? They are, they are commands. There are expectations that he has, and there are consequences to not following those expectations. So we need to make sure that our humility is appropriate before God, that we are respecting him as we should. Then, if we get things right in our heart before God, we have a much better possibility of getting things right among people we got to fix our own heart first, and that's every time. So it's certainly putting off pride and things like that, but it's putting on, putting on, putting on what? Humility. A proper outlook of ourselves. Not only based upon the Word of God, but even based upon life experiences. It's all of it. So as we do that, as we do that, let's please, Christ first, others preferring before us. But that doesn't mean that we're worthless. That doesn't mean that we don't have anything to contribute. That just simply means that we are preferring others ahead of ourselves. It's going to be a struggle, but let's put it on. Let's put on humility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we're just so thankful for your patience for us. And, and Lord, I think it's appropriate for us to be thankful for the patience of people around us. Father, as I have experienced this body of believers for a little over a year now, I see people who care about each other, who love each other, who welcome others into the... the um, the experience that we are having here. The only thing that's exclusive about what we do is whether or not in Christ. 
But if we are in Jesus, if we're your follower, then we're moving forward together as the body of Christ, as, as members together. And so as we do that, I just thank you for how I do see compassionate hearts and kindness being exhibited, humility. And as we study on through, Lord, I just pray that we will continue, continue to put on these character qualities. But especially today, Father, as we think of humility, there, there is a, a proper side. You've created us to preserve ourselves, but through the fall, man, we, we just have a tendency to lean our direction. We have a tendency to want what we want, the way we want it, etc. So, Father, help us to get over ourselves, to just continually be in love with you. And because of that, we want to be in love with your people. We want to love other people. And it's through that humility that we can do it best, most effectively. And so we ask to that end that you'll just work in our hearts through your Spirit to check ourselves out, to have an accurate view of who we are, and then move forward.